Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church podcast, where we share weekly sermons from our church services. We're so glad you've decided to join us today. We are a multi-generational family church located in the heart of Little Rock. Calvary's mission is to glorify God by making disciples who make disciples. Whether you've long been part of our church family or are tuning in for the first time, we hope our podcast provides the same kind of welcoming space you'd find here on Sunday mornings. Most of all, we hope this space helps you engage God's Word and grow in your faith. Good morning. My name is Ryan. I was on staff here at Calvary for five and a half years before my wife Callie and I realized that we were called to plant a church. So we now live in Austin, Texas, which is, uh, as I've said here before, one of the fastest growing growing and and most post-Christian cities in the country. And we feel like we were made to be there. And so just a few quick updates uh, since the last time that I was here. uh, what, What started off as a group of around 15 people Um, at the beginning of the year is now a team of around 40. Um, And starting in January, we'll begin the process of gearing up for a public launch um, in September of 2024. So it's a really, really exciting time uh, to be a part of New City Church. Um, So let's see, is there anything else that I'm forgetting that is life-altering or life-changing at all? Oh, yes. Uh, We... Uh, are about to be a party of three in the Perkins family. So that is incredibly exciting. Um, Everybody has been asking, uh, are you ready? And I'm always like, it depends on what you mean by that. I'm very excited, and we are probably at the same time wildly unprepared. Um, And so some of you know know that feeling. Uh, But at the same time, those of you who know our story know that it has been a journey uh, to get to this point with a lot of grief and tears along the way, but here is what I know. Jesus has carried us when we felt like we couldn't carry ourselves. And that is the story of many of you in this room today in many, many different ways. Jesus carries us when we are at our weakest, and we have experienced that. Here's what I also know. I'm the only thing standing between you and a whole bunch of casseroles across the street. So I'm going to jump right into what we have today. Psalm 136 is where we're going to root our time this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Psalm 136. But rather than me uh, just reading the passage to you, I thought we could maybe read this passage together uh, in the way that it was originally meant to be read. This is a congregational psalm that's meant to be uh, read back and forth to each other. So here's what I want to invite you to do. It's going to sound crazy. I want to invite you to stand one more time, if you would. I'm sorry. I know uh, some of you don't want to do that, but if you're able, please stand. Um, And here's how this is going to work. Uh, I I will read uh, the first part of the verse, and then y'all can read the second half. Here's a hint. You're going to say the same thing every single time, okay? So it should be easy. But let's, uh, let's read this passage together. I'll read the first half of these verses, and you as a congregation can read the second half. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. He alone does great wonders. He made the heavens skillfully. He spread the land on the waters. He made the great lights. 
the sun to rule by day. The moon and the stars to rule by night. He struck the firstborn of the Egyptians and brought Israel out from among them. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, he divided the Red Sea and led Israel through. but hurled Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. He led his people in the wilderness. He struck down great kings and slaughtered famous kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as an inheritance. An inheritance to Israel, his servant. He remembered us in our humiliation. And rescued us from our foes. He gives food to every creature. And one more time, like we mean it, give thanks to the God of heaven. Amen. You can be seated. 26 times you just repeated the phrase, his faithful love endures forever, just in case you were counting along the way. One of my heroes is a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer uh, was a pastor and a professor in Germany during World War II, and he started to sense that German pastors weren't prepared to withstand what was happening in the midst of their country at the time. So he started an underground seminary in an old abandoned house in the middle of nowhere in Germany where these pastors would be trained up and discipled in community with each other. And one of his friends was questioning why it was so intense, why this discipleship that they were going through was so, so intense, and, and was it even ultimately necessary for them to do the things that they were doing? So Bonhoeffer invited him out to visit the seminary, and he took him to the top of this hill, where on one side you could see this old house where pastors were being trained. The next generation of pastors was being trained for ministry in Germany. And then on the other side of the hill, off in the distance, you could see an airstrip where German soldiers were being trained at the time. And Bonhoeffer pointed to the seminary, and he said to his friend who came to visit him, this must be stronger than that. This must be stronger than that. That story has captivated me ever since I heard it because what he's saying is our discipleship to Jesus has to be stronger than the discipleship of the culture. We're either becoming more like Jesus and more like who God created us to be or we're we're becoming more like the culture around us. So we're talking today about gratitude. And my guess is that every single person in this room and every single person who's watching online would say, I want to be a more grateful person. I can see the benefits of being a more grateful person. An author named G.K. Chesterton, who some people have called the patron saint of gratitude, which is an amazing thing to have said about you, he said this, I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought and that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. 
One person commenting on his life, Chesterton's life, said this, to think of Chesterton is to think of gratitude. Gratitude, a sense of wonder, appreciation for life were consistently and constantly expressed in his life and his writing. And listen to this description of him. He delighted in the ordinary and was surprised and awed by his own existence. What a, what a thing to have said about you, right? I want that to be said about my life. And my guess is that follower of Jesus or not, you probably do too. Gratitude is pretty popular right now, if we're being honest. People are starting to talk about the health benefits of gratitude. Grateful people tend to be less stressed. They found connections between gratitude and exercise. Most people want to be more grateful, but here's the problem. Culture can tell you to be more grateful, but it doesn't have the resources to make you into a grateful person. Because in order to be grateful, you have to acknowledge the giver. And when you don't acknowledge the giver, you're left with the culture of cynicism, which is the culture that we live in today. But in the midst of that culture of cynicism, we just read it just a minute ago, there's an invitation in Psalm 136. Give thanks. Give thanks. It's the Hebrew word yada. Its dictionary definition is to praise a person, but to do so with a focus on a specific attribute or an action. So praise a person, but to focus on a specific attribute or action that that person has done. So let's break that down for just a minute. It means that number one, gratitude begins with acknowledging the gift. Gratitude begins with acknowledging the gift. Do you notice the gifts of God in your life on a regular basis? Do you take the time to think about the ways that you experience his goodness on a daily basis? If not, what keeps you from being able to recognize those gifts? A lot of it is the culture that we have uh, kind of steeped ourselves in recently. So it's a culture of busyness and distraction. We can't slow down enough to see the gifts. It's a, in many ways a culture of entitlement. We think that we've worked hard enough to earn and deserve the gifts that we have in our lives. It's a culture of entertainment where we have the desire for the wow moments. And many times God's gifts are much less noticeable much more subtle. We're, in many ways, familiarity is an enemy of gratitude, right? We, we're so surrounded by the gifts that we can't even see them anymore. And in many ways, we're also future-oriented, so future-oriented that, that, don't get me wrong, planning and preparation are good things, they're godly things, but when you're putting all your focus on that moment that's coming in the future, it prevents you from being able to recognize the good gifts of God in the present. Blaise Pascal, a philosopher, said something along the lines of, it's because we're, we are always preparing to be happy that it's inevitable that we will never be so. We're always trying to get happy, trying to, be, to get to that point that we think is going to make us happy, and that means we're never going to be. Remember earlier that I said gratitude requires focus, and if we're being honest, focus is harder than ever right now. But if, if this is going to be stronger than that, it begins with being able to name the good gifts in our lives. But it doesn't stop there. After it's acknowledged, after it's named the gift, gratitude then follows the trail from the gift to the source of the gift. It names and acknowledges the gift. This seems so simple, but it's so easy to miss. The psalmist is telling you to make sure that all the good gifts ultimately lead you to the right person. Give thanks to who? To the Lord, right? 
give thanks to the God of gods, give thanks to the Lord of lords. So we acknowledge the gift, but then we walk down this trail from the gift to the source of the gift. And it sounds simple, but you probably know from experience that it's really difficult to do. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that our inability to do this, like in our nature, our inability to do this is actually what's at the heart of what's broken with our world. Look at, look at uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Romans 1, 21. Do we have that? That's fine. I'll just tell it to you. It says, uh, it says that uh, though, uh, let me read it. Though they know God, <laughs> they did not glorify him as God or what? Or show gratitude. And what happened? Their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. So what's at the heart of the human condition? What's at the heart of the brokenness of our condition is to receive the gifts without giving gratitude to the one who's given them to us. Or, or James says it this way in, in James chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above. James has to say, don't be deceived because it's really easy for us to trick ourselves into thinking that there's a different source. Maybe that source is another person. Maybe it's ourselves. Maybe it's our hard work. But don't be deceived. Every good gift in your life is from above. It's, it says, coming down to us from the Father of lights. It's a gift from him. Or look at this story from the life of Jesus. I love this. Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11, it says, While Jesus was traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village... Ten men with leprosy met him. Leprosy is this skin condition that caused people to be outcasts from society. They stood at a distance and raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priest, which would have been the normal thing to do if you had been cleansed from this sickness. And while they were going, they were cleansed. But one of them, Seeing that he was healed. You see that? He noticed what had happened. Seeing that he was healed, returned. And with a loud voice, gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. And look what happens next. Jesus said, were not ten cleansed? Where are the, where are the other nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. Did you notice that? These 10 men, all cleansed, one of them noticed it. One of them saw, took notice of the fact that Jesus had given him this healing. And did you see the other word? Returned. He noticed it and he returned to the source of the gift. I found some research this past week from a guy named Robert Emmons who's a psychology professor at University of California, Davis. His entire life work is the science of gratitude. So if you're uh, like a college student looking like maybe I'm going to study something, uh, science of gratitude is a possibility for you, apparently. I'm sure that that whole department at UC Davis just feels like a giant Chick-fil-A. But he's done these massive scale research studies on the effects of gratitude, and he says that there are two components of gratitude. This is scientifically backed research that this guy has found. And here's what he said. Here's the two components of gratitude. First, an affirmation of goodness. And then second, a recognition of the source of goodness. He just told you what the Bible is already telling you. 
You recognize the gift and then you return to the source of the gift. Psalm 136 actually takes it a step further. And I want us to see this. It's also telling you that gratitude remembers the story. Gratitude remembers the story. There are just going to be some times when it's harder to be grateful than others. Some of you are in this right now. Maybe for some of you, there's going to be one less, less person at the table this Thursday. Maybe for some of you, this has been a year of grief rather than gratitude. Maybe, maybe if you were just honest, you're just overwhelmed with the brokenness of the world around you. I just want you to know, first of all, that Scripture actually makes space for you to enter into the presence of God and lament the fact that there are things in this world that are not the way that they are supposed to be. And at the same time, God is inviting you to become a person who's marked by gratitude and wonder. And the only way that you're going to be able to take him up on his invitation in the midst of those seasons where you, you feel like you can't even think straight enough to see the gift or find your way back to the source, the only way that you can take God up on his invitation in those seasons is to hold on to the truth. That's why I love that the psalmist starts off by inviting you to thank God, not just because of the stuff he's done, but because of who he is. Give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. And there are sometimes when you don't feel that and you've just got to preach God's character to yourself. And at the core of who God is, he's good. And at the center of the universe right now, I just want you to think about this. At the center of the universe right now is a throne. And the one who is seated on that throne is the best, most generous, most joyful being in the universe. And that means that gratitude is at the core of what it means to represent him in the world. And according to Psalm 136, that God alone does wonders. That God alone made the sky and the land and the sun and the moon and the stars. And it wasn't some stoic, emotionless architect putting everything together with a blank expression on his face like, let there be light. It's good. Let there be sun. It's good. There be moon. It's good. That's not it at all. Job 38 actually says that as God created, the morning stars sang together and shouted for joy. God creates and says, it's good. It's good. He gets to the end and says, it's very good. Wonder is the soundtrack of heaven at creation. But he isn't just creator, he's also redeemer. Psalmist says he brought Israel out of Egypt. He divided the Red Sea. He led Israel through and he struck down great kings and brought his people into the land that he promised to give them. But it doesn't stop there for us. Because when you fast forward to the New Testament, God's answer to the, the brokenness of this world, the mess that sometimes happens in this world, all the things that are not the way they're supposed to be, his answer to that is to give us good gifts in the midst of it. And there's one gift that he's given that exceeds all other gifts, that the one who is seated on the throne that we talked about just a minute ago, the one who created all of it, came to live in the midst of the chaos and the confusion and the death and the brokenness of this world. And not only that, that he would actually endure the death that you and I deserved at the cross, go into the ground for three days and rise again to show that he hasn't just lived in the brokenness of this world, but he's actually battled with it and he's overcome it. 
Something you notice as you read through the Gospels is that Jesus is more aware of the brokenness around him than anyone else. Watch his compassion for people who are walking through broken situations. Watch his, watch his compassion for a father whose, whose child is going through an illness. Watch him leave everything that he's doing to go take care of that one who's sick. He's more aware of brokenness than anyone else, but at the same time, his, his life is not marked by despair. It's marked by celebration. He's feasting with people. He's celebrating with people. He's not in a hurry. He's around the table with people present in the moment. And he's constantly having to tell parables to get the crusty religious people to understand that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of celebration. And it's not just because he's, he's unaware of the reality of the world. It's because he's come face to face with it and he recognizes that God gives good gifts even in the middle of it. And the story of the Bible, I don't know if you know this or not, but the story of the Bible actually ends with a feast. It ends with a party. It ends with a celebration where Jesus comes back and does away with the brokenness of this world for good. And he wipes every tear from our eyes and everything is as it should be. And we will celebrate with him forever. And that's what leads the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, by the way to say, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, the banner over the story over this story, the story of the gospel, the banner over the story from beginning to end is that his love does not quit. His faithful love, to use the words of Psalm 136, endures forever. And that's not just the banner over the story. That's the banner over your story. I realized yesterday morning that it was the 21-year anniversary of Jesus saving me as a nine-year-old. And I tried to, as I tried to follow that trail back to the source, all of these moments from that journey just come to mind. I just think about a moment when I am at my lowest, full of fear and full of shame and full of exhaustion and full of myself, and I realize my story is that his love didn't quit on me in that moment, not in the good moments, in the low moments. And I just want you to know this morning that his love has not and will not quit on you either. His faithful love endures forever. And if we're being honest, that's reason enough to be grateful. But even when you're steeped in that story, gratitude doesn't happen automatically. Gratitude takes practice. So here's my question for you. What do you need to do this week to cultivate it? Maybe you need to start keeping a, a journal of things that you're grateful for. Maybe you need to go to a person who's been influential in your life and tell them what a gift from God they are to you. Maybe you need to write a note to, to someone. There's all kinds of ways to cultivate this, but here's what I want to call you to do this week. In response to everything that we just talked about, practice the spiritual discipline of celebration. A lot of times when we think about spiritual disciplines, we think about reading our Bibles, we think about prayer, we think about fasting, all good things, all necessary things. But what if celebration became a spiritual discipline for you? What if you just started with Thanksgiving this week? 
You got, you got one built in, opportunity built in this week. What if you just got around the table with family or friends or whoever you're there with and you just reflected on God's gifts? Let me just encourage you, by the way, to do it big. Celebrate. Do it in a way that's memorable. I'm reading a book right now called The Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath, and they use this phrase that I love. They say, beware the soul-sucking force of reasonableness. When I heard that, I thought that is the best and most dramatic sentence that I think I've ever heard. But their point is to create these moments of celebration that people remember. So when you're cooking this week and somebody inevitably is like, do we really need to do all of this stuff? Isn't this just a little bit over the top? You can be like, is that the soul-sucking force of reasonableness that I hear in this house? Because we will have none of that this week, right? We're celebrating. When you start to practice celebration like that, like not just spiritually, scientifically things happening in your brain that actually expand your ability for joy, expand your capacity for joy. Gratitude starts to increase. And all of this actually leads beyond gratitude to that sense of wonder that we were talking about earlier. Here's what I want us to understand this morning. Wonder is the collateral damage of cultivating gratitude. When you live a life of just constantly cultivating regular gratitude in your life. Wonder is what happens as a result of that. And in a culture of cynicism, wonder is a weapon. Wonder is a weapon. There's a story that I love in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It's a story of King Jehoshaphat leading Israel's army against uh, enemies named Moabites and the Ammonites. And God says to him, hey, I've got a different strategy for this one. Different strategy for this battle. We're actually going to put the choir on the front lines. No offense to anybody who was in the choir this morning. That's not a good military strategy. Apart from the kingdom of God, right? It says that we want to, I want to put the choir on the front lines. I want you to go into this battle essentially singing a worship song. That's the military strategy. Even though it doesn't make sense, the king listens to God and he sends out the choir and the enemy just is so probably confused and disoriented that they actually turn on each other and they defeat themselves, which is a great story. But the story gets even better when you realize that they were singing Psalm 136 whenever they went into the battle. They're singing, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. So here's what I want us to understand. The enemy stands no chance against the people who's overcome by wonder. And I couldn't get that out of my head as I thought about you this week. So what if in the midst of a culture of, of cynicism and anger and outrage and entitlement, whatever else you could fill in the blank with? What if in the midst of that culture, Calvary became known as a people who were filled with awe and wonder? What if when people walked through the doors or they walked into your house, they were like, I I don't know if I believe what they believe, but that's the most grateful people that I have ever been around. Think about the early church in Acts chapter 2. What were they known for? It says they received their food with glad and generous hearts. The church was known as a grateful people. And it says, added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's a witness, right? What if to think of Calvary, or what if to think of you, was to think of gratitude? 
Thank you for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church podcast. If you don't already have a church home, we invite you to join us in person each Sunday morning. Our contemporary worship service is at 9 a.m. and our traditional service is at 11.15. For more information, be sure to check out our website, cbclr.org.